Hey, good morning. It's good to see everyone again here at Hope and Anchor. I'm thankful that you joined us here today. Today we are continuing in our teaching series called The Beautiful Attitudes, an exploration of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, specifically the, the Beatitudes, that which most of us are familiar with, but it's good for us to come back and to spend time really uh, digging deeply into those to find out how those speak to our lives and into our world here and now. So uh, let's begin with a word of prayer, Father. Um, we gather here today under, your, under the Lordship of Jesus. And God, as we open your word, I pray that something in each and every one of us would open as well. So that we'd be receptive, that we'd be attentive, and that we'd be sent out from here to truly be your people in the world. Uh, to make a difference. To, to bring hope. To bring surprise into our world. Uh, that people would come to know more and more, day by day, that you love them. And that you sent Jesus to prove that to them. So we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his life, his death, and his resurrection. And God, today, uh, may truth uh, uh, just find center stage here in our hearts, in this space, and may it orient us as we go out into the world in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this is week number six, and today's message is called The Hole. Is anybody familiar with a game show called The Hole? In preparation for this message, I watched The Hole. That's the only reason I watched it, really, was to prepare for this message. I wanted to do some deep research. This is an image of what takes place on the whole. Uh, so the whole, the whole, in the game, the whole teams, they compete by contorting their body to fit through a hole in a moving wall as they are perched on a platform above a pool. If they are successful, they are awarded points, and if, they win, if they're successful enough times, they win big bucks. That's how game shows work, usually. If they fail, however, they are hilariously scraped off of the platform by the moving wall, and they fall into a pool, a pool filled with water, with shame and ridicule. Teams, the teams wear matching silver bodysuits, as you can see, I think they all match. But they have color-coded knee pads and elbow pads and helmets. And I think that the team, the team members are encouraged to be kind of over the top as far as their bravado and their confidence in front of the camera because they always do like a close-up shot, intro shot, and everyone's always like, yeah, yeah, we're going we're gonna to win. So there's a lot of chest thumping, a lot of boasting, a lot of high fives. But one thing I notice is that once the wall is revealed, and once the wall starts advancing toward them, things get a lot more serious. All of a sudden, their attention is fixated on this wall with a hole in it. All the bragging is over. The players, they begin to scramble into position, trying frantically to figure out their, uh, the, the right posture the right body position that will align with this cutout in the approaching wall. As the wall bears down on the players, things become rather intense. They become intense as they twist, as they contort their bodies into impossible shapes trying to fit through the hole and to not fall into the water. Sometimes they are successful, but many times they are not successful. Those who win the game, I've noticed, 
Those who win the game are those who best, first, identify what is required of them, and then second, assume the necessary posture to get through to the other side. So they, they, they identify, understand what is required of them, and then they assume the necessary posture to get through to the other side. So, because I'm a pastor, I see a correlation here. <laughs> I see a correlation. There seems to be a correlation to how the whole game show works and how Jesus' kingdom works. There are certain parallels here. It, um, in both the whole and in the kingdom, we must identify what is required of us, and then we must assume the proper attitude and posture in order to enter in. Does that make sense? That was easy. All right, let's pray. <laughs> I'm done. My work is done here. You see, it was Jesus himself who described the shape of the whole into his kingdom. Okay, the shape of, he talked about it as a door or as a gate into his kingdom. And he said, this door or this gate can be described by certain words. And those words, as you may recall, are what? The door is narrow. It's small. The gate is narrow. And it's hard to find. And few are able or willing to find it. It's not just that it's hard to find. It's hard to fit through. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 7 to see, hear Jesus' words here. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Jesus says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. So, here's, here's a takeaway for me. It's not because um, the way into the kingdom is, is obscured or that it's hidden from us. Indeed, Jesus over and over again constantly was giving invitation, making it clear that about being clear about the way to salvation, calling his listeners toward himself, and in doing so, calling his listeners toward life and toward salvation. Right? Jesus wasn't trying to do a bait and switch or be, be esoteric or obscure. He made it very clear, but he was also very clear about saying, Hey, but I know it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging for you. All may come, but the way is narrow and few find it. The challenge lies not in the kingdom itself. The challenge lies in us. It lies in our willingness to abandon our pride to humble ourselves, to become meek in a world that demands bravado, in a world that demands boasting and chest-thumping and self-congratulation. The way into the kingdom calls us in a whole different direction, and that can be really, really challenging for us. It's been said that the doorway into the kingdom is so small that one can only enter through it on their knees. Have you heard this before? The doorway into the kingdom is so small that the only way you can fit through it is on your knees. We must kneel in order to pass through it. One must assume the posture of a servant. One must assume the posture of Christ himself in order to fit into heaven. Just as Jesus took on the nature of a humble servant, 
to enter into our world, so we must be willing to take on the humility and meekness of Christ in order to fit into His world. Does that make sense? So today, we encounter, we continue our study of the beautiful attitudes. The Beatitudes which Jesus identifies in the Sermon on the Mount, which you'll find in your Bible in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Today we've come to the third Beatitude, uh, where Jesus promises blessing. He, he, he talks about the blessings and the promise of meekness that we find in verse 5. Now, I understand that a lot of people have different translations of the Bible, so your Bible might not say meekness. Yours might say uh, humble, which the New Living Translation, which I'm teaching from today, says humble. Uh, I looked it up, and New Living Translation, the CEV, they say hum humble. Uh, the, the, the CSB, the NASB say gentleness. The NIV, the ESV, and even the King James, they say meekness. So your Bible may use different words, but they're all pointing at the same target. Jesus is talking about meekness and about how with it comes blessing and promise. Here we find, as we open this passage, here we find that in Christ's up to upside-down kingdom, the humble are blessed. We find that in Christ's upside-down kingdom, the meek, they inherit the earth. It's not the powerful or the proud. So turn to Matthew chapter 5. Let's read verses 1 through 5 today. One day, as Jesus saw the crowds gathering, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize they, their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. Now, meekness, as, as Sue talked about earlier, meekness is kind of a strange word. It's a challenge, a difficult word for us. The word meek is, notoriously, is a, mis, a, a notoriously misunderstood word. She pointed out that meek and weak, they rhyme, but they don't mean the same thing. We have to be careful there because sometimes we automatically do kind of assume that meekness and weakness are the same thing. It's a notoriously misunderstood word. It is difficult to hear clearly because of its multiple interpretations and its perceived weakness and fragility in our world. I mean, for example, if you go to Merriam-Webster's dictionary and look up meek, it gives you, you know how dictionaries have like definition one, definition two, definition three. Taken all together, not helpful. See what I mean? The first definition of meek in Merriam-Webster. Enduring injury with patience and without resentment. Number two, deficient in spirit or courage. Or number three, not violent or strong. Well, what do you do with that? See what I mean? Definition one, good. Definition two, bad. Definition three, both. Yeah, it doesn't really clear it up for us. The uh, Expositor's Bible Commentary, one of the commentaries I was using in putting this lesson together, uh, talks about meekness this way. It says, the word meek is hard to define. It's hard to define. It can signify the absence of pretension, but generally suggests gentleness and the self-control it entails. To be meek toward others implies freedom from malice and freedom from a vengeful spirit. We may acknowledge our own bankruptcy, 
and we may mourn, but to respond with meekness when others tell us about our bankruptcy is far harder. Meekness, therefore, requires such a true view about ourselves as will express itself in our attitude toward others. Toward others. This is where meekness, the rubber meets the road when it comes to meekness. Toward others. Like most Christian virtues, meekness or humility... They can only be practiced in community. Oh dear. These things require others. Isn't that unfortunate? Meekness, the practice of meekness and humility, they require us to practice them in community. They must be lived out while rubbing elbows with the very people who often make being meek and being humble really difficult. Have you noticed this? It's like, it's like the Christian life would be easy if it wasn't for all these other people. Yeah? Think about the list that the Apostle Paul gives us in Galatians chapter 5, where he lists the fruits of the Spirit. We've touched on this before, I think, but almost all of the fruits of the Spirit can only be cultivated in the context of other people. Let's look at that. Galatians chapter 5. Think about this. Read it this way. How many of these must be practiced in the context of other people. Galatians 5, verse 22, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. I think we could all stack hands and say, Adam's right on three, right? Most of these require other people to be around. And that can be really, really hard. It can be really, really challenging. Being meek and humble, speaking from my own experience, being meek and humble would be really easy if it was simply an internal virtue. Really, considering myself meek and being meek and humble, as long as it was just an inside thing, that'd be easy. As long as it was a personal, private attitude that was only uh, expected to be expressed between me and God, got it. Easy. But man, add people to the mix and things get squirrely. Try being meek. Try being humble in real life. Has anyone else run up against this? Try being meek and try being humble in real life. Try being meek and humble around your annoying family and friends and it becomes really hard really fast. Not my family, but your family, I'm sure it's tough. <laughs> I always write stuff like this and it's the Sundays my parents and my sister comes in town. <laughs> Interactions with others can really stir up some nasty stuff inside of us. Have you ever been startled? and a little bit disgusted about what bubbles up inside of you when you're pushed, when you're, when you're irritated, when you've just had a little too much time around those closest to you. Yeah, nasty stuff can really uh, be stirred up in us. Stuff happens in our relationships that really triggers our control issues, that really pokes at our wounds, that really exposes our selfishness, our pride, and our insecurity. Factors inside us and outside of us make it hard to be humble and to be meek. Guys, you're not the only one that struggles with this. We all struggle with this. Our selfishness, our pride, and our insecurity, it slaps right up against everybody else's selfishness 
pride and insecurity, and much conflict, strife, and anger is the result. I mean, look at the world around us. Conflict, strife, anger. But here's the thing. Jesus knew his listeners. Jesus knows his listeners. We can take great comfort in that. Jesus knew these things about his listeners that day in Matthew. As he looked out upon those sitting around him on the hillside, he knew all about their struggles and all about their fears. Jesus knows us too. Guys, take comfort in that. Jesus knows what it's like for you. He knows and he's compassionate. He's willing to invest in you and to lead you in the way everlasting. Jesus knows us too. He knows our struggles and our fears. And he would say to us what he would essentially say to those on the hillside in Matthew. Of course, it would be an aromatic make, but it would be something like, hey, chill out. Hey, chill out. The battle isn't won by the strong. It isn't won by the aggressive or the harsh. It isn't won by the counterpuncher. It's the humble. It's the meek who are ultimately blessed by God who are at peace. It is the humble, it is the meek who are, in the end, the most at home in the new creation. So stay the course. That Jesus would understand and not ridicule or, or lambast us, but he would actually say, hey, be encouraged. Hang in there. You're blessed when you're humble and meek. So hang in there and chill out. The way of Jesus is the way of the kingdom. The way of Jesus is the way of the kingdom. Thus, God blesses those who are day by day intent on becoming more and more like Jesus even now. Set your sights on Jesus and you will be well equipped, well prepared for the kingdom. More than promising us just a blessing in the world to come, there is a blessing that comes to us today when we pursue the servant posture of Jesus Christ. As we pursue meekness, and as we discipline ourselves in humility, we find ourselves increasingly aligned with God. We find ourselves increasingly aligned with God and His provision for our lives now. We become more able to receive and perceive what God is doing in our lives even now. As we cultivate a, a spirit of Christian meekness and humility here in the muddle of daily life, we discover God's gifts. And there's two gifts I'd like to point out. God's gifts of surprise and of joy. We're able to be surprised by what God is doing in our lives and in our world, and we become filled with joy, more and more Joy. I love this quote from G.K. Chesterton from his uh, book, Orthodoxy. Has anyone ever read Orthodoxy by Chesterton? People either like Chesterton or they don't get him. So, but hang in there. It's a good quote. If you don't, just smile and nod. No one will be, none, no one will notice. Humility was largely meant as a restraint upon the arrogance and, the, and infinity of the appetite of man. It's a great opening sentence. Humility was largely meant as a restraint upon the arrogance and infinity of the appetite of man. He was always outstripping his mercies with his only newly invented needs. His very power of enjoyment destroys half his joys. By asking for pleasure, he lost the chief pleasure, for the chief pleasure is surprise. 
Hence it became evident that if a man would make his hence it became evident that if a man would make his world large, he must always be making himself small. Even the haughty visions, the tall cities, and the toppling pinnacles are the creations of humility. Giants that tread down forests like grass are the creations of humility. Towers that vanish upwards above the loneliest star are the creations of humility. For towers are not tall unless we look up at them, and giants are not giants unless we, they are larger than we. All this gigantesque imagination, which is perhaps the mightiest of the pleasures of man, is at bottom entirely humble. It is impossible without humility to enjoy anything, even pride. It is impossible without humility to enjoy anything, even pride. So, to finish up, every single day is a little bit like an episode of The Whole with challenges coming our way and threatening us to either knock us down or to move us forward. What you're going to face tomorrow and the day after that, it's going to come toward you and it's either going to knock you down or you're going to make it through. The difference is, how, is found in how we respond to that challenge. We can choose a posture of proud self-confidence or we can humble ourselves and pursue and discover the posture of Christian meekness. Tomorrow, as you get out of bed, mark my words, <laughs> when you walk into your office or when you walk into the classroom, you will face a wall with a cutout hole coming towards you. You'll smile knowingly to yourself like, oh, there's the wall. Here it comes. It's coming toward you, and it's going to have a hole in it which you will be expected to fit through. Now, let me be clear. Ours is not to avoid the walls. You can't. Ours is to check our attitudes. Ours is to be mindful of the postures we take and to make sure we are trusting in Jesus first and letting our hearts be at rest in Him. Only when our hearts are resting in Jesus, only when our hearts are resting in His provision, are we able to humble ourselves and to respond with meekness. Only when we assume the posture of a cross-shaped life will we discover God's promise of blessing. Only then, when we assume the posture of a cross-shaped life, will we discover God's promised blessing of surprise and of joy. As you grow in your understanding of Christ and His kingdom, a beautiful attitude begins taking shape in your life. And over time, you find it fits perfectly, just as Jesus promised. Let's hold on to that. Jesus makes these promises, and can we believe that He's good for his, to His Word? That He will follow through on these promises? Well, here's the last thing I want to say. That beautiful attitude that's taking shape in you as you follow Jesus and start aligning with His way, that beautiful attitude is meant to be more than an internal value, okay? It is necessarily something that we are meant to live out in our world among all those challenging people and situations. So let me be clear. Our theological understanding of Jesus' teaching must merge into the practical application of those teachings in everyday life. Do you understand? It has to be brought down from up here as a theological thing we believe into something we actually live in our world. 
So what do we do? Well, I would say this. Start by paying attention to your life. Pay a little more attention to what God's up to in your life and those challenges that are coming your way. Pay attention. Pay attention to our lives. Uh, when we do, we notice where those struggles exist. Those interactions, those relationships, those experiences that make meekness and humility hard. Notice that. And notice that that's the exact place where you will start to grow as you more and more become accustomed to the posture of meekness. At the personal and at the community level, there are opportunities all around us. You, guys, there, you don't have to look very far for opportunities to grow in meekness and humility, okay? That process, that growth process, it begins as we become more aware. And that, that, that process, that, uh, that, that growth process starts to bear fruit as our awareness uh, really is more engaged. One area that Christians, and I want to point at this specifically, one area where Christians can practice meekness right now, uh, where they can practice humility today, is in the, the current climate of racial tension. I don't think that's surprising to anybody, but there's a lot of racial tension right now. And there's a lot of chaos, a lot of noise, and a lot of just uh, heated conversation happening. So there's a great opportunity here for us to practice meekness and humility uh, in this current climate of racial tension and hyper-politicization. Politiza politicization. You know what I mean, right? Uh, yesterday I listened to a podcast interview, uh, which I want to recommend to you, and I want to post a link to it uh, on our podcast. But I would encourage you, it's about an hour and a half long, so it's not short, but it's helpful to kind of gain a better understanding of some of the words you're hearing, some of the phrases, uh, some of the uh, uh, issues at play in the, uh, the uh, issue of racism and the back and forth and how there's so much noise, but how we as Christians can go into that and really truly seek to be meek and to be humble. It's uh, called Unbelievable by Just Justin Brierley. And he interviews two uh, academics, two professors, that really kind of try to unpack from a theological and a sociological perspective what's going on with, the, um, with racism, white supremacy, and the Black Lives Matter movement. So I want to post this there because it was really helpful for me. I'm not saying it's the end-all, be-all, but it was helpful for me, and I think it might be for you as well. The key takeaway as I listened to this podcast episode was how Christian meekness and humility is really given to guide us. What Jesus calls us to is to guide us in the real world, guide us into and to help us speak into these situations, difficult situations. Help us to be his hands and feet, to be his people as we go into the world and we work tirelessly toward peace, healing, and unity. So we've got an opportunity to practice this week, both at the local and the global level, and I pray that you would. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for uh, your word. Thank you that uh, your, the, the call to follow Jesus isn't just about these theological values or these uh, internal uh, uh, behaviors or beliefs. It's actually uh, practical to be lived out in the world, that we go out to make a difference, that the meekness, the humility, leads us into the world to be Christ-like, to bring healing, to pursue justice, and to bring unity. So God, I pray that uh, you would uh, set our hearts on that, understanding that challenges will come, but that our hearts should rest in you first and foremost, that we look to Jesus and that will lead us well into these challenging moments and through them and into your kingdom. God, I pray for my friends here that have struggled, that have been angry, 
that have been sidelined and distracted by the wall that's come toward them far too often now. They've been pushed off into that pool <laughs> of humility, shame, anger, disgust too many times. God, I pray that you would uh, teach us to believe in you and to trust in you and to hear your words of compassion and grace toward us. God, thank you for the investment you made in us through Jesus. God, we look to him, we place our faith in him, and it's our only hope. It's in Jesus, God, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, well, I've got a couple of announcements, and then we'll be finished up for today. But uh, the first thing I'd like to point out is uh, we view the giving of tithes and offerings here at Hope and Anchor as an intimate expression of faith and worship. Uh, we've got a basket here at the crossroads. There's one at the back. There's also an iPad, uh, and there you can give with your debit card and things like that. We're exploring some other ways uh, to make giving accessible to you. Uh, I think we're looking at like Apple Pay and some other options. But also, if you go to the hopeandanchorchurch.com website, there is a page where you can use PayPal. Apple Pay is on that already and stuff. So check it out, I think. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, oh, just what? Okay, just PayPal. And uh, all right. Hey, students, what's going on tonight? Curtis Kendi? Yeah. Uh, so tonight we're actually meeting here. Uh, at 6 o'clock we are doing uh, a movie. I believe the majority of you have spoken up on Hangouts. Uh, like 150 messages, by the way, uh, for a day with students. Um, I think we're at Star Wars starting with uh, the new world. Oh, all right. Put that on and donuts is that the one with Jar Jar Binks? That's not the Star Wars with Jar Jar Binks, is it? No. Okay. All right. So I'll put my foot down on that. Anyway. Uh, hey, September 6th, we're having Yurt Church, the first ever Hope and Anchor Yurt Church at the Francis's Yurts down in Reed Springs. So one thing to remember is we won't be meeting here that day, but everyone's invited to come down to the Yurts in Reed Springs at 10 uh, on that Sunday morning for a time of a 5 by 15 kind of a, share, a talent show, basically, and then a time in the Word together. Then we're going to have lunch and things like that. Uh, you're welcome to go and camp. If you've got any questions, you can talk to Nick and Amanda back there. Amanda, do you have anything you'd like to say about that event or food-wise? All right. Well, it's going to be great. So if you have any questions, see Amanda, see Nick, and uh, come on the 6th to your church. Love Thy Neighbor was this past Friday. We had tons of people come through uh, in our partnership with Victory Mission. We had cars lined up back to the street coming through to get uh, uh, food, produce, some cleaning supplies, and be prayed with. Um, Dale and Rebecca Thompson helped out a lot. Thank you guys for that. Uh, we'll be doing it again on the fourth Friday of this month from 1 to 2.30. So if you're available on a Friday afternoon to help bless people in our neighborhood, this is a great opportunity for you to get involved. So see me or see Heather Haynes. We can get you lined up for that. Lastly, Kids Focus. Thanks, Sue, for doing that today. Uh, next week, I think Jeff Jones is going to lead our kids' time. He may do a magic trick or two. Illusion trick. Sorry, there's no real, not magic. Sorry. Some people get kind of twitchy about that kind of stuff, right? But um, anyway, he's going to lead our Kids Focus next week. But we've got a ton of people in our church that would do a great job leading Kids Focus. So if you want to get on that list on the big rotation of doing this, uh, see me or see Heather Haynes, and we'll get you plugged in for that. So anything I missed? Oh, T-shirts at the back. For Hope and Anchor. We have Hope and Anchor shirts. How about that? Anything else? All right, that's it. Let's stand and pray as the Lord taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thanks everyone. Have a good afternoon.